following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, this is Holy Week. And so just for a moment, let me recap for you how this week would have gone in the life of Jesus. Last Sunday, known as Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds praised God saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. On Monday, Jesus entered the temple, the holiest place of the Jewish people, and cleansed the temple of its dishonest practices of greed. The Jewish leaders had turned Jesus' father's house from a house of prayer for all nations to a place where people were being robbed blind. On Tuesday of this week, Jesus went back into the temple and confronted the Jewish leaders for their rejection of him and ultimately their rejection of God. On Wednesday, Jesus was in Simon the leper's house where he was anointed by Mary with very expensive perfume while Judas Iscariot set his heart to betray him. Both events setting the stage for Jesus' death and burial. On Thursday night, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room and celebrated the Lord's Supper with them. And then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And it was there that he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. The next several hours were a blur in Jesus' life. He went from illegal Jewish trials before the leaders of the Jewish religion to Roman trials before Pilate and then before King Herod. At each spot, he was beaten, mocked, and whipped with tools of the trade, which were meant for scourging and lashing of a human victim. A leather belt with ends of metal balls was used across his back and a crown of thorns was mockingly placed upon his head. All the while, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders spat on him and sarcastically mocked him. And at the end of it all, with the crowds crying, crucify him, Pilate begrudgingly sent Jesus off to the cross. That's where we are on mid to late Friday in Jerusalem. Now tonight, what we're going to do is study the gospel of Luke, which is what Dave read to us earlier, as we consider Jesus' death on the cross for us. And here's what I hope we will see tonight. That Jesus Christ innocently and willingly gave himself for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Because that's what Good Friday is all about. It's about Jesus Christ innocently and willingly giving himself for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I want to look at three things in this gospel narrative. I want us to see every nation. I want us to see the innocent dying for the guilty. And I want us to see three things. I want to see forgiveness, eternal life, or heaven, and a willing sacrifice. Let's start with with every nation. Luke's telling of the crucifixion scene, as Dave read it to us, is unusual. Because normally the stories in the Gospels centered in are centered in Jerusalem or in the towns of Israel. They are usually distinctly Jewish. Jewish people, Jewish customs, and Jewish practices. But Luke's, Luke's testimony and Luke's narrative of the Gospel and this crucifixion scene is most certainly not that. You're going to notice something in your Bibles about the number of people that are listed In this crucifixion narrative. Notice verse 26 in Luke chapter 23. You have Simon the Cyrene. 
In verse 27, you have a great multitude of people, more than likely including mourning women, who, which was a pretty normal custom for Jewish people because they'd have professional mourners that were at every uh, funeral waiting to just wail at death. In verse 32, we're introduced to two criminals who are being executed alongside Jesus. Verse 37, you have Roman soldiers who mocked him, played played dice for his clothes, and gave him sour wine to drink. In verses 47 through 50, we're introduced, we're introduced to Rome, the Roman centurion who oversaw his crucifixion, who believed in him, all his acquaintances, and the women who followed Jesus from Galilee, who stood at a distance and watched all of this take place. We're also introduced to Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin who did not agree with putting Jesus to death, and it was a secret disciple of Jesus who asked for the body of Jesus from Pilate. There's a load of people that we're introduced to in Luke's gospel. And we're introduced to them in a very short span of time. And so the question when you read Luke's narrative, which is different than the other narratives, is why would Luke, who was a physician and a historian, give such detailed accounts about these particular people? Why would he give us detailed accounts of the different people who were at this crucifixion scene? Well, the first reason that we could deduce is it reveals to us the reality of Jesus' death. Luke gives us factual evidence and he gives us actual eyewitnesses who saw Jesus die on the old wooden cross. See, we've got witnesses who are not just Jewish. We've got Romans. We've got the ruling class. We've got people who were followers of Jesus. We even have criminals dying on the cross. We have mockers of Jesus. See, there's some in the world that could say that Jesus is unimportant. Some could say that that Jesus' death didn't matter. But here's one thing you can't do with Jesus' death. You can't say that he didn't die. The factual eyewitnesses play a huge role in Luke's account to help us know that Jesus Christ actually died by the hands of the Romans on a cruel wooden cross. But the second reason that Luke does this speaks to the reason for Luke's gospel. See, Luke's gospel is about people from every tribe, nation, and tongue being bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to be the king and the Messiah of the Jewish people. He came to be the king and the Messiah from people from all over the world. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, the Jewish expectation was that was the way their king was going to come. He would be in the line of King David, and he would sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, their capital. Some Jews thought that Jesus was it, that he was the king that was coming for them. But Jesus didn't just come to be the king of the Jews. He came to be the king of all. That's why Luke wrote his gospel. He wrote his gospel to a Roman citizen who was more than likely a member of the ruling class to help him understand that Jesus came to save him, a Roman, a Gentile, somebody who was not of the Jewish people. He came to save people, not just all the people from Israel. He came to save people from all around the world. So when we read the account of Luke about all these people from gathering around the crucifixion scene, it shows us that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save people from every nation. He came for people from every language, tribe, and tongue. And see, what that, what that means for us is that Jesus' crucifixion scene is for us. <laughs> it's for us. It's, it's not just a Jewish moment carried out by Roman hands. This is a universal moment. 
a pivotal moment, the pivotal moment in all of human history where the God of the universe is saying to people from every nation that there is a king and a savior who has come for you. Every nation is represented here. Innocent bystanders, wailing women, criminals destined for the execution chamber, members of the social elite can all be recipients of what Jesus' cross provides. Jesus' life and death are for people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. That's what this means, and it means it's for us. But the second point I want us to notice in this text is the innocent dying for the guilty. See, how did Jesus save us? And how did he actually become our king? As we're going to see, Jesus saved people from every nation by dying in our place. He didn't deserve to die in our place, but why? Why did God do it this particular way? Well, Luke shows us very clearly that Jesus died innocently. You're going to notice something throughout Luke 23 that's fascinating. Notice how often Luke makes makes reference to Jesus being innocent. Verse 4, when Pilate said the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. In verses 13 through 16, another moment when Pilate declares that he found no fault in Jesus. In verse 22, a third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt in him deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. And then notice the statement by one of the criminals at the cross In verses 40 and 41, recognizing that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And then finally, notice the centurion's response in Luke 23, verse 47. He praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Luke Luke is trying to say something here. Throughout his narrative of Jesus' trial and crucifixion and burial, there's a very clear declaration by, by Luke. Jesus was innocent. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to go to that cross. So if Jesus was innocent, why did the innocent die? Why did the innocent die as the guilty party? And and who is the guilty party that the innocent one is dying for? Well, the idea of the innocent dying for the guilty goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Our first parents sinned against God. And when they sinned against God, God said that they must die because of their rebellion against God. The payment for disobeying God is death. What Adam and Eve earned for us, our first parents was death. But God showed Adam and Eve and us grace and mercy by revealing that death didn't have to be paid by the rebel or by the sinner. As soon as Adam and Eve were confronted by God about their sin, God clothed them with the skin of an animal as a payment for their sins. God covered their sin with the death of an innocent sacrifice. And that's the basis for the innocent dying for the guilty. Throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament, God gave them what's called the sacrificial system, where one time a year their high priest would offer up an innocent lamb, one without spot or wrinkle, And he would pour the lamb's innocent blood on the mercy seat before the presence of God in their temple. The innocent would die for the guilty. See, the point that God was making was death must be, death must be paid by someone. 
But in God's mercy, God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, he allowed for a substitute to die in the place of the sinner. The problem with Israel's sacrificial system was it was annual. Every year they were reminded, an annual reminder that they were still in their sins and in rebellion against God. And this system was intended to point to a day when there would be one eternal sacrifice for all time given. So when Jesus Christ showed up, when he comes on the scene, he's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ had come to be the innocent sacrifice for us, the guilty. He came to be crowned our king by dying in our place. Greg Gilbert puts it best when he said this, God declared Jesus to be triply crowned with the crown of heaven as God's son, the crown of Israel as a long-awaited king, and the crown of thorns as the suffering servant who would save his people by dying for them in their place. See, that that's what's going on in Luke chapter 23. That's what's going on at the crucifixion scene. Luke is powerfully declaring to us that Jesus died innocently for the guilty. That's how Jesus Christ is the Savior and King for all nations. But that leads us to our last point of tonight, which is forgiveness, heaven, and a willing sacrifice. See, we see that Jesus was the innocent one who died for the guilty. But why? Why why did Jesus die Why did he have to die to be the king for us? Why why not come as a military leader? (laughs) Why not come as as a political leader who could be voted into office and everybody would just bow down to him? Why not force us to bow down to him like Loki would if he were to come back? Well, in Luke's narrative, Luke gives us three statements by Jesus that he makes on the cross. And, And what we know about crucifixion was that A crucified victim was normally held to the cross by three nails. These three statements by Jesus were like metaphorical nails holding him to the cross. These are the why statements of why Jesus died in our place. Notice each of them. Notice the first one in verse 34. Jesus asked, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, forgiveness is only needed if there's guilt. It's only needed if there's sin. And these folks at that moment were guilty. They had sent Jesus to the cross as an innocent man. But these sinners, when you read their story, these sinners are no different than just simple examples of us. Just like in Adam and Eve's case, they represent us in one way or another. If we were in that crowd, we would have yelled, crucify him, crucify him. If we'd have seen Jesus do miracles, hopefully our eyes would have been open to the reality that this was the king. But more than likely, we would have been in their place denying that he was our Christ. These sinners represented us. Jesus is Crucifixion is the way that we receive forgiveness from God for our rebellion against God. The Bible makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus died on the cross so that it would be possible for our sins to be forgiven forever. God made a way through Jesus' death that our sins don't have to be counted against us anymore in our relationship with God. God has made a way through Jesus' death that our shame and guilt can be wiped away. See, that, that's Jesus' heart toward us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, Jesus' death is for our forgiveness. It's for your forgiveness. That you don't have to stand before God anymore condemned in your sin. You can stand before God in the forgiveness that Jesus offers. See, that's the first metaphorical nail. He came that we might have forgiveness of sin. But notice the second statement, though. It's found in verse 43. He says to that thief on the cross who believed in him, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, this thief had come to a conclusion. He'd come to the conclusion that Jesus was innocent. He came to the conclusion that this innocent person was dying for the guilty. He came to the conclusion that this innocent man was dying for him. He deserved to die, but Jesus didn't deserve to die. And what was Jesus' promise to this man? Today, the moment you breathe your last, you will be with me in paradise. See, only those who are forgiven and made right with God can enter into paradise, which is God's home. And Jesus is saying to this 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 crucified criminal, this believing criminal, that his death and the thief's belief would get the thief into heaven. The way to eternal life, to live with God forever, is through this old wooden cross and this innocent party dying for the guilty. The only way to eternal life is through Jesus. The innocent dying for the guilty makes this possible. See, that's the second metaphorical nail Jesus came that we might have eternal life, forgiveness and eternal life. But there's a third nail that held him there. It's found in verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we're told that after he had said this, he breathed his last. Victims of crucifixion normally die of exposure or loss of blood or they suffocate. When I was in Bible college, we were in a homiletics class and my preacher was talking about, or our professor was talking about this very scene. He was reading us the medical examiner, what they might have said about how a crucified victim died. And he asked us this question. So preacher boys, how did Jesus die? I raised my hand like I normally would in class and very boldly declared, he suffocated. At that response, my professor did something I'll never forget. He slammed his hand down on his desk and he said, preacher boy, don't you ever forget. No man took his life. He willingly gave it. Victims of crucifixion would die of suffocation. Exposure, loss of blood, a Roman spear in their side, but not Jesus. He was in total control from beginning to end. 
He did not suffocate. He did not give into exposure. He did not die of loss of blood. He voluntarily and willingly gave up his life. No man, no cross, no ruler, no governor can ever put the Son of God to death unless the Son of God willingly gives up his life as our ransom before God. And his willingness is what held him to the cross. The Son of God was held to the cross because he willingly was held to the cross. Three statements. Forgiveness, heaven, and a willing sacrifice. Three metaphorical nails that held Jesus there. And the impact of these statements, the impact of Jesus' willingness to die, is that the way of God has now been opened. We're told that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating to us that the access, the way to God is provided through Jesus. He's the only one who can give us forgiveness of sin and eternal life by his willing sacrifice. So where does that leave us? Well, it certainly leaves us, doesn't it, with with two very clear decisions to make. Because we can't ignore this man. We, we have eyewitnesses that showed us that he died. We can't say he didn't. We can say he might have not mattered. But we can't ignore the fact that he willingly died for us. So on the one hand, we, we can choose to put our trust in Christ. We can choose to believe that he is indeed the Savior. We can trust that he is the one who came and willingly lived in our place and died in our place. And when we say that we believe in Jesus, we're saying that we believe he's the only way to be forgiven by God. He's the only way to eternal life. He's the only way that we can truly be made right with God because he is our substitute. And if we do that, we can become like Siren the Cyrene, who identified with the Savior by picking up that cross and carrying it. We can be like the thief on the cross, believing in Jesus' innocence and being granted eternal life. We can be like Joseph of Arimathea who courageously and willingly went to speak up about Jesus in front of Pilate and putting his entire reputation on the line because of Jesus. See, trusting in Jesus brings forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life, and the wonderful joy of our Savior King who willingly gave up his life for us. We can choose to trust him. We can choose to believe wholeheartedly that he is indeed the Savior King of our lives. Or we can choose to reject him. A person who doesn't believe in Jesus is still in their rebellion against God. Has only the guarantee of eternal death. And does not see Jesus as one who innocently and willingly died in their place. So listen, if if that's you then you're you're no different than the priest and the rulers and the soldiers who arrogantly judged him and sarcastically mocked him. R.H. Stein correctly summarizes this point when he said this, The supreme irony is that the criminal who believed in Jesus, rightfully being executed for his crimes, was infinitely better off than Israel's high priest who by his rejection of God's Son was eternally damned. Rejection of God's Son is done at your own peril. 
So we can believe in his name and follow him or we can reject him. But the one thing we can't do is ignore him. Our Savior came for us. He came that we might have forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life. And he came and willingly gave his life for us. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you because of Jesus. We have access to you because of Christ. We have forgiveness of sin because Jesus willingly gave up his life for us. We are made right before you. Literally, we're given the righteousness of Christ because Christ lived in our place. Our entire standing before you, our entire right standing before you, all of our forgiveness and the promise of eternal life and future resurrection from the dead is because of Christ and Christ alone. Truly, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through you. And we, your people, come tonight to say thank you. Thank you for drinking the Father's cup. Thank you for fulfilling the Father's will. (laughs) Thank you for taking the beatings and the mockings that we deserve. And thank you for dying in our place, the death that we deserved. And we, your people, come and humbly bow before you. You are indeed our King. And Father, if there are friends tonight that are watching, that are here, that don't know Christ, reveal to them the reality of this Savior's coming for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.